Welcome to the EMS Educator Podcast, powered by Prodigy EMS. Join us for relevant, high-quality discussions around the best practices in EMS education. You'll find interviews with experts in EMS, education, simulation, medical direction, leadership, and more. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the EMS Educator Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence. We've been on a bit of a hiatus. And uh, this is technically the first show of 2024, so a belated uh, Happy New Year to everybody, and we're looking forward to what's coming in the year. We have an exciting edition this year. It's going to be really international. We have a lot of people in the room, so between me and uh, Hillary, we're going to have to herd all these cats into some collective, cohesive conversation. But before we go any further, welcome to my co-host, Hillary Gates. How are you, H? Doing great, Rob. Um, You didn't mention that the cats are Australian. And South African and British, we're from Everywhere. all over this, yeah. this time. So I bring absolutely nothing to the table when it comes to accents. I'm just a flat-accented girl from Seattle. Good. And you're also my official translator, so you're going to have to do a lot more translation in this show. So do you want to bring everybody in? Let's do it. So um, let's start with uh, Neil Noble's team, and he's going to introduce uh, himself and uh, the other blokes that are with him. Hi, everyone. I'm Neil Noble. Um a South African paramedic now working in Australia. And uh, Mick Lazell, a true-born Australian here in the US. I'm Colin Allen, and I'm Australian. I'm Adam Nanford, uh, South African paramedic working in Australia. And Danny, your team. Good afternoon. Danny Wirtz. I am the CEO of International Medic Solutions, born and raised in Southern California, San Diego. And good afternoon. I'm Joe Wirtz. I'm the co-founder and other side of International Medic Solutions, and I, too, live in San Diego, but I'm originally from New Jersey, so that's kind of like being foreign. Good one. And uh, Jimmy has something to say about his background, too. Go ahead, Jimmy. Yeah, I'm Jimmy Pearson. I'm the president of Medic Ambulance Service, uh, also the current immediate past president of the California Ambulance Association and current board member of the American Ambulance Association. And uh, we're here uh, to really talk to Kaya. Kaya, tell us who you are. Hi, my name is Kai Schultz. I am a paramedic, uh, both in Australia and the United States now. Graduated a uh, bachelor degree in paramedic science end of 2022. Um, so I'm really excited to see where that brings us. So, hi, I'm Sam. I am Australian. Um, I am here on a visa, on a work visa, um, on an E3 visa specifically. I don't know if you want to cover that later. Um, and I've been through the whole process from going to the consulate in Australia to getting on a plane and coming over here to working like with that visa process to then doing that education in San Diego to then coming up here to work and going through all the steps of the way through national registry, becoming EMTs, doing the skills a day, doing the national registry exam for medic to get state licenses. And then I've just had the phone call with the county saying I've been approved just to submit one more piece of paperwork overnight and then I'll be um, aff- approved by the county to work. Um, officially so um that's me now um like today's the day it's it's like i'm done and dusted i'm a paramedic now so that that's brilliant um just rewind sam talk about so how long has that whole pipeline taken you from the point of going "Hmm, i think i want to go to the us to today your first shift i think i think i was i was uh, was looking back a few days ago and i think i messaged neil i think it was boxing day or the day after boxing day let me translate that for our american friends that's the day after christmas everybody sorry carry on it's on the 27th of uh of december i messaged neil i said neil put me on the list i'm coming over um and then ever since that day so because we were first the first cohort um things took its time to get 
get moving, but that was always expected being the first cohort. Um, but I knew that I was committed. I applied for the ambulance services at home and I was working as, a, so I'm also a, a, a nurse as well. So I was working um, as a nurse in the ER prior to coming over here. Um, and then I actually withdrew my application from the QAS because I was so set on coming here and traveling. Um, I think it's a great time. I'm very young. Um, I got no liabilities at home. So I was like, it's the perfect time to come and travel the world and, um, you know, see where life takes me. And I think within the past four months from landing in San Diego, I've grown professionally, personally, I've met so many new people. Um, it's, it's been a great experience and I think there's been no negatives to it. It's only been positives. So. Wonderful. Welcome. Welcome to the country. And uh, Rob, we're going to start with um, talking about the gist of the issue here, which is that everyone's heard of the shortage and staffing issues, the shortage of paramedics or EMTs in the US and the staffing issues that we have. And uh, Jimmy and Danny and Joe and Neil and his team have all worked together to find a very unique solution. Um, and we're going to focus on kind of the gist of the problem first, and then talk a little bit about the uh, successes and the hurdles of educating medics from uh, other countries. Go ahead, Jimmy, or Rob. And this is a milestone moment in terms of, you know, telling the story of uh, something that, quite frankly, the UK has been doing for at least the last 10 years. And when I first met uh, Neil and the team, it was actually down at the, the Paramedics Australasia conference when our colleagues from the London Ambulance Service were down there um, the the good thing for the UK is that there's a reciprocity between uh, paramedic degrees between Australia and the UK, and therefore the 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 ability to move from from Australia to to the UK is that much easier. It's been a massive challenge to get people to come into the US until now, and uh, there are other you know parts of the country that that some Australians are going to, but we now. Ha- are able to tell the story, and I'm going to use the first Americanism, okay, the soup to nuts of how this how this all came about. Um, but in terms of you know our own issues, our own internal issues, Jimmy, I mean, we've got a recruiting and retention problem, and, and of course, this is part of that solution. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think it's not new to the United States or even California about having uh, enough paramedics and, and even EMTs for a while. And I think some of that is just the supply chain that was kind of impacted in 20 that we took for granted of what, you know, six months of nine months of trying to figure out to switch to online learning before you could go in person and what that overall 18, 20 month gap created. Um, Because we are seeing some of those schools pick back up more seats, which is exciting. But the reality, there needs to be a little bit more immediacy and we don't have that option. Uh, For Medic, we're a family owned ambulance uh, service. We do about uh, 95,000 transports a year. Um, we haven't seen too much of the paramedic, uh, shortage. We've been, I mean, it's, we've been him- impacted at certain points, hadn't had to do the travel medic thing before. Um, so kind of, I liked about this aspect was that it's not obviously coming from Australia is, uh, a traveling, right. But they're not travel medics. They come and they become part of our system. So I really like that aspect of it. Um, and for us, we started new. We started a new contract in Sonoma County in uh, January 16th of 2024, and that system had been really impacted by a lack of paramedics, and they had had travel medics in the system for close to two years, um, and there was no real solution outside of bringing in travel medics. But we needed more of a long-term solution. So when we first kind of heard about this, 
um, I'd reach out to Danny to try and set up to learn more. Um, because like I said, I think travel medics are a good solution in a short term where you need it, which is new to us, but it has been very helpful. But the one thing I love about this Australian medic program is they be, they come and they're part of the team. So Kaya is part of our collective bargaining agreement. She's part of the workforce. She has a negotiated, you know, rate in terms of not negotiated collectively bargained. So she doesn't get anything different in terms. She gets she's just one of the employees, and I think that's one of the coolest parts. And then because of the E three part, there's a commitment, uh, to, you know, to close to two years, right after all the training and when it's all said and done. So for us, there's that incentive. Um, and it's a, you know, it's, it's really a reciprocal process or something we get out of or something we hope that Kaya gets out of it, that Danny gets out of it and the whole team, uh, Neil's team as well. So, and really I've seen that and I think it's been really cool. So having that, I know I kind of went into the tan- tangent of what it helped address, but the reality is we needed some more immediate solutions and this gave us that opportunity. That is the, the demand question the supply question comes uh for for, for neil and team of course in australia there is i think it's fair to say an overproduction of medics how does that work why and why yeah look we certainly do have an overproduction of paramedics in australia mainly due to the vast number of universities operate uh, offering the bachelor of paramedicine degree so back in 2008 when i was a university lecturer in queensland there were only two universities um, we've got upwards of six universities just in the state of Queensland alone and then multiply that around the state. So on average, on any given moment, we've got about 5,000 student paramedics in the system. And unfortunately, at the end of each year, there's roughly about 1,400 jobs available for them in the state ambulance service system. So in Australia, we don't really have a private EMS system at all like you do in, in America. And um, the result is that we have a couple of thousand paramedics graduating with bachelor degrees every year who then cannot get jobs in the state service. So some of them go over to the private sector, so in the mining and resources industry. And we're even looking at paramedic practitioners now as well um, to try and address other healthcare shortages. But the reality is we have so many thousands of really highly educated people that literally looking to go to McDonald's and flip burgers because they don't have any other options. So there are international options available, like going over to London. Interestingly, when I started, um, Australia were recruiting from London. Now London's recruiting from Australia. And uh, when we spoke to Danny initially, we found that there was such a vast shortage of paramedics in the US, and we'd really like to help our graduates get meaningful work that so that they don't u- lose their skills, but also they get to put their skills to the test and have a bit of adventure at the same time and get more life experience. So, yeah, so we spoke with Danny and thought we'll try and figure out with her and Joe how to navigate this visa process, the education process, and essentially get what we now have is, is someone like um, Kaya and Sam and, and the, the rest of the team that have now graduated they've made the transition they've come across they've gone through the process and now we know that it works we anticipate a flurry of australian paramedics to come over to the u.s now that they've seen it successful 
So let me just ask one question. You said 5,000 graduates, right, first of all. So the, now, of course, uh, university, university education, paramedic degrees are exceptionally a hot topic here right now, and we have a number of our associations in the alphabet soup of U.S. Uh, national associations at loggerheads at the moment over whether you should, whether you shouldn't. But obviously, this is an exemplar reason why you should, because we're getting some quality people coming through. Before I hand back to Hillary, though, just sort of explain how degrees are funded in Australia. And uh, if you're listening, sit down, strap in, and be prepared to be green with envy. Yeah, so look, I do call Australia the lucky country, and uh, we certainly are in this aspect. So you either, when you go to university, you either reach out to the bank of mum and dad, and they provide the fees to pay for your university education. However, if mum and dad are not able to, then the federal government will pay for your university degree upfront um, per subject, and then you pass those subjects. And then when you gain meaningful employment and start earning a salary, they will then take a certain portion of that money back as a salary deduction each pay fortnight. So we get paid fortnightly in Oz. Translation every two weeks. A $30,000 degree every two weeks, yeah. So a $30,000 degree can be paid off over a number of years when um, when the paramedics are now working. Imagine that here. Hillary? Um, I, I don't want to be Debbie Downer or... Um is that how you say it in Australia? Would it be Debbie Downer, or, sir? Okay, s- still Debbie's. I just want to make sure. Um, but how is it sustainable to produce five thousand medics and only have fourteen hundred jobs? Are are there? Um, I don't need to get into a policy uh, discussion necessarily, but certainly if uh, if you keep banging your head against the wall, the only way it feels better is if you stop. So if when Kaya goes back to Australia after she's done wowing us wowing us with her skills in the u.s is she just going to be back in the same boat neil what what's uh what's being done to remedy that situation just look without annoying everyone in the university system in australia i personally believe that it's probably a bit of a cash cow and that uh, they are churning out paramedics because it's a profitable business venture for the universities there is not much regulation on the university sector because they are well, they self-regulate, and so they do run a very, very good system. So this is not knocking the universities all. But I think as an industry, we probably need to either slow down or alternatively find alternative solutions for our paramedics to gain employment, and, and America is certainly one of those um, situations. So it's not unique to paramedicine. It's, it's happening in nursing. It's happening in law that many people are graduating and unable to get jobs. So it becomes extremely highly competitive and so things like our international tours are very well regarded because it just gives someone the edge to then gain a job because they've gone and and taken that step extra so a degree a bachelor degree in australia is no longer a special thing everyone has one and so you're not a standout you need to go and do extra things in order to remain competitive to answer your question with Kaya when she comes back to Australia, and we certainly hope we do get her back. Yeah, look, there's certainly opportunity there for her to come back. And the ambulance services in Australia highly regard experience. And so she would then join a totally different applicant pool. So instead of joining the pool of thousands of graduates looking for jobs, she will then join a much smaller pool of qualified paramedics. And Australia is in need of experienced paramedics and we're starting to see the state ambulance services 
advertising specifically for paramedics with experience to go to some of our more outlying areas to provide a service there where less support is required because they have the experience already. So we kind of understand what's happening on the Australian side from Neil and Danny and Joe, you guys are working on uh, the American side to bring these medics in the pipeline and tell us how International Medic Solutions works. So I have a lot of background in pretty much every single facet of EMS. And back in 2007, was approached by my employer at the time when I was running the education department, said, hey, would you mind, uh, do you want to go on a free trip to Baltimore, Maryland? And I was like, yeah, sure. What's the catch? And he said, I'm going to put you in this, this paramedic competition thing. And I said, okay, sure. Why not? You know, I'm always up for an adventure. And um, he sent me there with a couple other local firefighters as part of a collective uh, concept that they had with some local fire departments. And so I was sent with two guys, one from each different department I've never worked with, um, one I've never even met before or run a single call with either one. We get there and it was like flashbacks to cheerleading competitions back in high school. You had groups and they had team jackets and they were practicing and drilling. And and I'm going, what in the world did I just get thrown into? And we were going to compete against uh, Fidney, Fire Department of New York, who had been the, the five-year reigning champions. And we were just these nobodies that again, didn't even know each other's names when we got there. So it was a bit of a Cinderella story. Um, we're thrown into it, never expected to make it to the finals. We wound up getting a, a perfect score in the preliminaries and ended up winning the finals. Well, we didn't realize that that year, the finals, the team was being sent to Australia to compete in the international competition in Brisbane, the Asia-Pacific International Simulation Challenge. Because um, the this group of, of the guys from Australia had come over to the Gems Games and had competed and won one of the years. Um, they didn't compete the year that we won. Um, and they were bringing some of these concepts, I believe, back there. And they had the conferences and they were putting on their kind of like their version of the Gems Games. And so we were brought over to compete there once again and ended up winning there in that competition, winning the gold. And so we got to know uh, these folks and had a great time. We got to learn them, their system and have just maintained that friendship since then. Um, and as they've been doing the tours coming over here, a lot of the medics asked, how do we, you know, how do we work here? We love it here, especially when they get to see San Diego and everything that we have to offer down here. And having worked in administration on the ambulance side, realizing that there's such a critical shortage and we've exhausted all of these different ideas on how to combat that, that staffing shortage. Um, it was kind of like a natural, a natural solution um, with my background and these guys and their background and their resources. It's this, this perfect synergistic, um, you know, um, I concept to pull together. So it was just a matter of how do we do this? Um, so we're the only ones that will do this as a, a third party to bring people here, um, create this pipeline where they do this recruitment over there. They vet them and then they come to a pipeline. They come to us. We interview them. We vet them. We set up all the logistics. We handle all of the, all of the details of the move and do all of the, the education leading up to, their time before they come here and working with the local colleges to meet all of the um, curriculum criteria for them to be able to work here. And knowing how EMS is, you've got national, state, and local standards. There's there's a lot of layers of things to work through. <laughs> so they get to the U.S., they go through the national, state, and local, and then, yeah, pick it up from there. 
Yeah. So they will, um, the curriculum is all built off of all of the national standards in order to qualify. Um, but also depending on who, where they would be going, which employer they're going to go, we would have to make sure that we're matching all of the state and local, um, requirements. Cause every, as you know, every state's got a different set of rules and you know, requirements. And then every LEMSA will have their own requirements. So that's what we're able to do for, you know, these guys it would be very difficult for them to do it on that size is handle that and have that just that continuity and process where we can be the advocate for the employee and also for the employer um, so that we're making sure they have a great experience because the Australia EMS, you know, that's their reputation on the line as far as their recruitment and their tours. So ensuring that they have that, um, that great experience all the way across. And Dan- Danny, how many how many people do you typically bring over, or do you does Neil send you at, at in one chunk? So this was our first cohort. We wanted to keep it small, just like a handful of folks, as we worked through the process. Because again, with so many layers of bureaucracy that you have to navigate through, um, we wanted to do that with smart, a small group. These are our pioneers. We initially joked many times about them being our our test dummies or lab rats, and <laughs> they have been amazing. I mean, we owe them so much about the foundation of this program because they did have to endure a lot to get us through to to get proof of concept, and they have all been absolute rock stars. They have been fantastic, and we've worked this together. And without them, like I don't think we would have been as successful as we are as to getting them all the way to where they are. And then also with the help of you know, Jimmy reaching out and hearing about this and taking the taking that first step to take that jump with us um, and trusting us to do that, it's been they have been amazing to work with. Um, so we our plan is to double our cohort. We have three; to, we'll be doing three to four cohorts per year to get started. And we're already, in fact, this weekend we've been running around. We just got back from the airport collecting the last of the seven for this next group. So we plan to be doubling um, by each group. And so the, there's seven in the next group starting next week, and then another cohort in June and another cohort in September. And ideally, we're looking to have about 25 folks per class in each cohort is what we feel we can probably manage as we're getting started this first year and then reevaluate um, as we go through. There's about 500 that go to the UK every year. We plan on changing the direction of their planes to the US. <laughs> I like that. That's a good uh, little sound bite. Jimmy, you can't take 75 medics this year, can you? We will figure it out. I promise you that. <laughs> we will figure it out. Okay. So they're all, they're all <laughs> slated for you. Uh, we'll, we'll take whatever we can get. But uh, I mean, obviously we don't need 75, but I think in California does. So, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. And so Danny, we're going to get Jimmy to capacity. Yeah. Right. So Danny, you're working with other, um, obviously, cause you said that already that you, you kind of tailor each, uh, to, to the shop that they're going to. Yeah. I mean, we are, you know, working with medic, like I said, they, they took the chance with us and they are definitely our, our priority to get them to staff. Um, but we do have folks going this next group going to, um, kind of split between the two with four of them going with, with Jimmy and four, uh, three going another place. Um, we really want to kind of start with just a couple and work our way through because there's certainly a demand there. We've actually been a little bit on the down low with it this first year because we know that once people hear about it, they will be asking. 
um, because there's just such a need. And that's that's why we're creating it. We just want to make sure we're not letting anybody down in the process by not being able to fill their needs, especially because I have with Medic because they've been so fantastic to work with and, and such a great place for these guys to go. Well, that's been a, an amazing first half of uh, the EMS Educator podcast. Let's just take a second to go for a read from our sponsor, EMS Gives Life. Hello, I'm Christine Fichter, the Executive Director of EMS Gives Life. At EMS Gives Life, our mission is simple. We educate the EMS first responder community on how to become a living organ or bone marrow donor and then provide support if you choose to give this gift of life. Our organization was inspired by pro-EMS paramedic Will Lindbergh's selfless decision to anonymously donate a portion of his liver saving the life of a three-year-old boy. We know our community is full of heroes who perform life-saving acts every day. It is this heroism and selflessness that we're counting on. More than 6,000 people die each year on the transplant waiting list. Deceased donors are simply not enough. Living organ donors are desperately needed, and our community is up for the challenge. Would you consider being a living donor if you had the support you needed and the assurance that you will go to the top of the list if you ever needed a transplant in the future? Through our partnerships, we can make those promises. If you're curious about living organ or bone marrow donation, let's talk. And if you're already a living donor, we'd love to hear your story. You can find us at emsgiveslife.org. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. EMS Gives Life is an amazing 501c3 charity. And of course, as always, the links are in our show notes to look up and see what work they're doing. We are talking about uh, uh, Australia, all things Aussie, with Hillary, Alan, Neil, Mick, Colin, Danny, Joe, Jimmy, and me. That's a cast of thousands. But before we get back into the conversation, don't forget, we'd really love you to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on. If you're looking at your iPhone right now, there's a little plus mark right at the top of your screen. If you press that, it means you've liked, you've subscribed, and you get notification every time an episode of the EMS Educator podcast drops. Let's talk about education. And I'd like to hear from Kaya what her experience has been in the classroom, in the in her clinical sessions, um, her psychomotor skills, the testing requirements, all the things that may or may not be similar to what she experienced already um, in Australia. And I think a lot of us are thinking, uh, Kaya, what's it like to be a fully trained paramedic with a bachelor's degree coming over to the United States and having to do it all again? So um, just give us kind of some stories and, and what it's been like as an experienced uh, paramedic to be in the classroom in the U.S. Um, so, yeah, I graduated from my university at the end of 2022. So it's still a little bit of a baby medic, um, still new to the field. But um for this program, we started our education side of things while we were still over in Australia using a uh, a program through the college that we were attending. Um, mostly, it was used just to find like a baseline, what things we had to improve on, which things that you know our strengths and weaknesses. Before so we had a sort of a timeline, um, an idea of what to expect before we hit the ground running on U.S. soil. Um, so the actual college portion, once we landed. Um, it was really great. It was a five, six week program plus one week of the um, the skills testing. Um, basically, it consisted of some classroom work, but for the most part, it was um, weeks full of scenarios, uh, cardiac arrest scenarios. You know, all the all the um, the big stuff. Um, and the big thing between being over in Australia and working over here is the scope of practice. So. Over in Australia, we have our two levels of paramedics. We have our bachelor degree paramedics, and then we have our critical care paramedics. Our critical care paramedics in Australia have the same scope of practice as just normal paramedic cohort here in the U.S. does. 
So the biggest part of our education on the US side was learning this new scope, learning the who, what, why, the reasoning behind everything. Um, as Danny and everyone else has assured us the whole throughout the um, education process is you can teach anyone how to learn skill. I mean, we came over here, we learned how to intubate within minutes. Um, it's the clinical reasoning behind these sort of things, um, the when, the how, the what to look for, is the uh, what happens if you do it wrong, what to expect when it's right, um, which was the main focus of our education, just bridging that change in the scope of practice. And the other thing with the bachelor degree, um, again, three years over in Australia, their paramedic program here in the States is one to a year and a half to two years. So over in Australia, we have this really tremendous, great background in our pathophysiology and understanding of pathophysiological processes. So we are able to uh, translate that really well over to the Australian side, uh, to the American side, apologies. Um, so like I said earlier, it was really, the education was really more of a big focus on the, the change in scope that we had to learn. And have you um, kind of had some interesting stories or um, times when you were on the ambulance or in the classroom when things went a little bit sideways just because of the difference in culture or the difference in language or, or jargon? Uh, yeah, definitely the jargon part, just like the different terminology, just like the simple things like the medications here. A lot of people call them uh, here in the States by their uh, brand names rather than the generic names, you know, with the. Uh, for said instead of midazolam or Zofran instead of Ondansetron. Uh, it took a while to get used to and having to learn those sort of things. Um, another big difference, having the fire system as part, um, partnered with the EMS system, um, having firefighters who are also paramedics and EMTs trained on scene and helping you and assisting you with cases. Um, it's probably the big differences. Um, I mean, I intubated someone for the first time a couple of weeks ago during a cardiac arrest. Uh, I had a whole lot of fun with it. I mean, um, you know, doing it for the first time, again, like I said, you can teach anyone how to do this, do the skill. Doing it in the moment was, you know, it's just something that over in Australia, as a normal paramedic, as someone who just graduated a little over a year ago, that's not something that we get to do. Um, so doing that in the field was uh, pretty amazing. That's great. And then I'm sure uh, when you start talking to a patient, if they're um, with it enough, they recognize that you're not speaking with an American accent. So have you had a lot of reactions that way? Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, a lot of our uh, patients always, I get a lot of patients ask me if I'm British, actually. <laughs> yeah, that one's a big one. Um, but since I was actually born over here, lived the first eight years of my life here. So I have a sort of in-between accent. So people can't usually place it. Um, whereas you talk to Neil and the others, um, their accent's a little bit stronger than what mine is. <laughs> Can I jump in and say, if it helps any, President Biden asked me if I was an Aussie. So there we go. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Great. Well, um, I know our educator audience is also super curious about how all of the uh, how all of the regulations, um, the requirements, and um, the licensing and certifications have happened um, in terms of getting through the national registry process and or national, excuse me, and or local or state processes. So Danny, maybe talk a little bit about that. And Jimmy, if you have insights as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the college locally that we partnered with handled making sure that we meet all of the, the national requirements and state requirements being in California and California having one of the most stringent systems as far as requirements, um, just making sure we're in compliance with all the different regulating bodies. 
um, that they we don't get here and we've missed something and and then we can't move to the next step. So our so local accredited paramedic college, um, it's a specialty college. It's it's a, t- um, a junior college here local, but they specialize in fire, EMS, nursing, and law enforcement. They actually have a separate campus just for the specialty occupations. Um, so that's where we hold the classes. Um, as an instructor there, I did my nursing there and have helped in that college for many years. So I was really closely familiar with it. It was kind of neat as an alumni to go back and be able to bring this international program to the school. So something they're just elated to be part of. They sit right right on the the international Mexico border. They're right close to it. Um, So they already do a lot of international type um, work. But this was something completely different. Mostly, you know, working with Mexico, not Australia. So they're very excited about that program. But yeah, they have helped to navigate all of those requirements, being an accredited school to make sure we're compliant with everything. And then again, if with because we are unique in the fact of that um, we're a, an independent uh, company contracting with different ambulance providers, um, we'll be reaching out to different states. Right now we're working in just California, but we know as, as we expand that we have to do our own due diligence as to what each state requirements and then their individual lenses are going to require so that we have all of our ducks in a row before the individual's um, even come here. We will. They know who their their employer will be before they get on a plane to come here. So we're already um, mapping all of that out, and that's a lot of what our service provides is just all of that due diligence and logistics that goes into. Actually, that's a lead-on question for both uh, Jimmy and for Joe. Jimmy obviously is the sponsor, and Joe is the guy that's doing all of the kind of admin. How how much bureaucracy have you had to cut through just to get these guys here on the ground? I'm gonna let Joe take that one first because he's got a lot more bureaucracy. Not to the level of bureaucracy, Joe. I just end up signing the docs at Jones. Fair enough. Great question. Um, there's multiple bureaucracies. Uh, you know, it's not just one one level after the other. Obviously. Um, Kaya talked about a little, a little education and, and Danny talked about it where you're, you're, you're dealing with the educational requirements and that obviously has its own, its own path. Um, then we obviously, we obviously have to work with, uh, you know, the, the state, the local EMS authorities, um, others, you know, the national registry and what they're accepting. Uh, again, the, the college we work through is really a great partner in that and just trying to navigate and making sure we're you're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Now you, you add in the bureaucracy of the State Department and working through a visa process that, while um, is fairly, you know, a fairly positive experience, I think, you know, Kaya could, uh, you know, well, actually, she's a U.S. citizen, so we lost Sam. Um, but, yeah, he, he could talk to all that, all those pieces, and it's really not, um, not really cumbersome once you figure it out. And, you know, we've obviously retained legal legal support within the company to to make sure we're, we're doing it right, and it is a... Uh, you know, the state department is, is its own beast and, and you get different, you know, obviously different consulates. You'll take an E3 visa application, you submit it. And based on geographically where the, the student might be or the paramedic coming over might be in Australia, they'll go to a different consulate, um, different consulates. While the process should be the same within the U.S. government throughout, it could actually be different or, or you know, more stringent or appear more stringent, even though it's the same requirements. Uh, we've, you know, we've, First, we had some, you know, concerns about the process and the the medics going to the consulate and working through it. I think we've we've gotten to a point where that's fairly, I wouldn't say streamlined, but we have less risk on that side of the uh, of the ball than than anywhere else. I mean, it's it's becoming a, a something we just we work through, and then you know the company we 
work through some some of the paperwork. The E3 visa gets approved, and, and what the company has to provide are some you know other paperwork saying they uh, they are offering a, a viable job at the right you know pay and and they attest to a bunch of you know making sure conditions are appropriate. Primarily, that's uh, conditions saying something to the effect of we're going to pay them not as a significantly reduced wage, but as a you know as a you know as a prevailing wage is probably the best way to put it um, out there. And so they they guarantee that, and with those. All that coming together, the company, the medic, and their background, and, and you know the the State Department putting everything together for them. It's typically a process that you know is is you know uh, easy but not simple. I guess is the best way you know kind of a way to put it. Um, but yeah, it's it feels simple now because we've done it multiple times and it's and it's worked. Uh, but certainly in the beginning of this thing, that's kind of what it took so long. It was just trying to get questions answered when. Yes, I can read legal and, and statute of the U.S. government, U.S. code, but it's it's always nice to get multiple opinions to make sure we're we're going down the right path on that. And it's good that you've you've got there. I mean, for the last few years, the the discussion that I've certainly heard is, you know, a we can't have these people coming in taking the jobs of Americans. Well, there's no Americans to do the job, first of all, and secondly, then there is just the the, the saga and the challenge of getting the visas and getting people to support that. And so, you've jumped all of those hurdles, and I think that's why we we're here today telling this story because it's now hopefully the floodgates. Um, you know, Neil and, and teams, you know, two thousand, three thousand, whatever we whatever the number was. Uh, can can now start coming to to help us with our with our shortage, and I think that's amazing. And Rob, with, with that, I will say um, uh, a little bit of bureaucracy, but it also is a commitment from providers, right? That it doesn't just happen, right? So with the E three visa, we have to make a commitment, like what Joe said, to the prevailing wage, and for us, that's around thirty four bucks an hour, thirty five bucks an hour. Right. So we bring Kai and them over, uh, Sam and Chelsea. They all came over in October. Uh, we didn't really see them till when was that, Kai? End of December? It was really just the beginning of this year. Yeah. Right. So early January, I think Sam came first. So, you know, I mean, so that's two months of your paying somebody full time, essentially, a 30, I think 30 something hour, whatever it all works out. But you don't see them. Right. And that's part of that E3 visa process because they can't come over unless they have a job. So that's that whole part of the bureaucracy, um, uh, the bureaucracy process where, you know, we spoke about it before about getting NREMT to not make these bachelor educated paramedics or even California go all through all this extra training that we know they can do, right? And allow NREMT to let them challenge it and go through that process. And I think having, knocking down some of those layers because in reality, I don't know if every company could afford it, right? Um, and so it may be great to get them, but if you can't make that investment into the process and paying them, right, all that is a process you don't see right away, right? So just a thought, you know, to bring up, you know, that's that we got to still keep working on that process because these are these are great paramedics that have gone through a lot of training. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, like Kai, they're still learning, right? But I think allowing them to get here quicker and not have to kind of feels like redundant learning. I think there is a practicality of hands-on getting that training locally and still doing, being able to operate in a kind of a training phase, but not having to redo 
all this stuff for challenge registry right away and then allow them to kind of do that other local specific are you good enough stuff yeah final add-on question for you jimmy um the, the they're here now they're they're working i mean how how have the workforce uh you know reacted and received them i, I know i'm looking at you kaya but let's let's talk about you for a second as opposed to you yeah and then you can ask kaya her employer issues after this too uh no, and I'll and I'll mute or I'll, I'll get off the call. No, I'm joking. But uh, no, I I think everybody's loved them. I mean, honestly, I love them. I think it's been great. Um, I think that it, it's just cool. I think it shows a different avenue. And I think I, I know um, it's a little bit different in Sonoma because we went through a transition of a workforce, so it's a little bit different uh, than your normal. But I would think any workforce would see them as a great support. Right? These are these are immediate options for paramedics to come in and really help a gap, right? A gap that we can't achieve. Uh, you know, it's almost like, I hate to say it like wine, where it takes a while. You're never going to get that bottle of wine right away. It's going to be 18 months down the road. Well, in January, like right now in Sonoma, we just started our Santa Rosa JC paramedic class. We have 13 EMTs in that class. But that's not for 12 to 18 months. You know, we won't see that for 18 months. So what about the intern? We can sponsor and do all these different programs, but if they're not done or they weren't done 18 months ago, you can't fix it right away. So that's the beautiful thing about this program. Um, and to me, uh, one, you have um, Kaya, Sam, and Chelsea who are great people, right? And that is so truly really easy to integrate in when you have people like that. Um, and I'll make a joke about Sam. Sam, when he was riding along, uh, there was a patient who was in extreme pain and heard the Australian in the background. And everybody jokes about it. And the lady's like, are you from Australia? Oh, I feel better already. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's their own, their own little analgesic. So it's great. Um, so I just think it's, they have the right attitude. Um, and they're stepping into an uncomfortable zone. And I feel like we've tried to be welcoming. And I think we have a really good workforce there. That's been welcoming. So I think it's just, you know, I think they've been really well received. And I think it's it's been heard from around uh, the region. Uh, people calling me and asking about, hey, what's going on? What is this program? Can we can we send them to Fire Academy? Because <laughs> Fire Academy, no. And I'm like, no, you can't. They're ours. There we go. So obviously there's a pipeline there, um, you know, uh, Alan, Neil, Mick, Colin, and uh, clearly you've been over and you've been videoing and chatting to the guys that are here. Um, do you anticipate now there being a massive uptick in people expressing interest or have you had that expression of interest already from you know many more than you've actually got spots for? Yeah, look, I think at the moment we've we started out slowly, as did the the team from London. And now that they've seen the paramedics go through and what an incredible success it's been, um, I think that we are, well, we already have seen a doubling in the numbers of applicants and we've got cohort two that have just landed in San Diego. Danny and Joe went and collected them from the airport yesterday. Um, we'll be seeing them next week. Cohort three is already, the applications are flowing in and I believe four, five and six as well. You know, we've got people applying now that are in this, um, second year of paramedicine contacting us and going, when I qualify, in two years' time, can I apply for this program? So we anticipate that it will be a fantastic initiative for them. And I must just really acknowledge Danny and Joe's significant effort in this space from contacting the Australians 
you know, they come to us, we vet them, we hand over to Danny and Joe, they pick it up within 24 hours, the um, applicants are contacted, they explain the whole process to them to make sure that they commit or decide that this is not for them. And they keep us in the loop every step of the way, literally with weekly updates, multiple Zoom calls, and seeing the the volume of work that Danny and Joe have put into training these guys and getting them across the line, getting through through all the lingo, and dealing with thousands of questions. And I and and I tell you, there I've answered a thousand odd questions myself, but there's just so many. And to be able to work with such a professional team is absolutely invaluable for us. You know, there's so many EMS providers in the US, so many people, so many personalities, and um, it's it becomes overwhelming, whereas we now have one point of call where we deal with international medical solutions exclusively, and we have the greatest reach in Australia in terms of reaching student paramedics and paramedics as a whole. The system is set up well now and it works. So to answer your question, I think that you're about to have a lot more Australian accents landing on your shores and uh, providing care to the American communities. And if I might say, Rob, you know, you've met some of our students we've brought over here on these tours to experience the, the American systems. On this tour, we have people specifically coming to see before they buy. You know, they've asked us about it and there is a number saying, I'm going to apply, I'm going to apply. They're actually coming just to see it now. This is great. And I was going to ask a follow-up question to Danny, but to way back when, when I was down on the Gold Coast, actually probably when I first met most of you guys, uh, London Ambulance Service had a massive team that they flew in uh, from London to Australia. They did a multi-city tour, um, but they were there for a month. Um, it cost them six figures. And actually, first of all, there was a big cry in London saying, how can you spend so much money sending all of these professionals to Australia on a free vacation slash holiday, depending on where you're listening from? Um, and of course, Jason Killins, who's now, now now runs the Welsh Ambulance Service, said, listen, I spent £125,000 to go to Australia for a month with my recruiting team. Um, the average wage of a paramedic in London is £80,000. Therefore, I spent two years' salary and I recruited 125 people to come back. So you don't have to. Well, you told me, Rob, I'm going now. We're going. Okay. <laughs> no, you, going, no Jimmy, Jimmy, I'm coming with you if you go. No, no, you don't. But here's my point. You don't, an invitation, here's, Jimmy. Here's, that? <laughs> here's the point, though. You don't have to go to australia anymore because the process is now in place that you have folk on the ground in oz and of course you have danny and joe and the team in place here and so that's saving a lot of that legwork and of course that's the key thing now we just need to we've got we've got the pipelines working we've got the processes running and now we can let them run danny Right. And absolutely to that thank you rob is is honing the process right this first group went through we we know we could make it through the process and now all we have to do from here is continue to improve, make it quicker, make it more efficient. We are already looking at the curriculum that we went through with the first group and have probably changed it by 50%. All improvements, how do we, knowing that the employer does have to fund them, we're very cost conscious, very, very cost conscious. Um, we want to make sure that their their money is well spent. Um, and the more that we can front load the education, because we're doing a good couple months of uh, education remotely before they even come to the United States, um, and that's time we spend, you know, three, two to three, sometimes four hours, twice a week, sometimes several times a week with uh, each cohort going through topics, um, testing. They do a lot of testing, a lot of assessment testing. And we were taking that, that information and just 
continuing to tweak and turn the the parts that we to f- that we fill in in the education uh, before they come and then once they get here. Some event it's a certain requirement of hours that are dictated by the state. We're working with the state. We've been on the on the phone with uh, state EMS uh, this last week, um, introducing our program to them. They seem to be really I- very interested in it and looking at how you know how we can work together to to make it the most effective, efficient, considering what they already have when they come to the table. Just to Jimmy's point, so that we're not being redundant um, and not wasting anybody's time or expense, and just continue to improve the process. All four of our folks passed. We've got great proof of concept. We are just going to continue to improve it from here for everybody. I was just going to finish by saying that, uh, and we'll and we'll take on Kaya's education from here because, of course, uh, Jimmy and Medic are a Prodigy user. So, Kaya, we look forward to welcoming you to your continuing education on our platform very soon. Hillary, take us home. Yeah. So to to Danny's point, uh, we've got this proof of concept. We've got uh, Kaya and Sam uh, as as evidence. Uh, Sam, congratulations again for earning your status uh, as evidence that this is working. Kaya, what, uh, what do you bring to, to the American system as an, as an Aussie medic? And what do, you, what do you bring to your team? And how do you feel like you're fitting in? And, and, um, and I'd love to also hear perhaps advice for others who are going to step into your shoes soon. Uh, coming over from Australia to the United States, it's a, a really fast step. I feel like I've um, blended in quite well with the U.S. system. I feel very welcomed by, by Jimmy and the team and even by just the general staff. I feel super welcome. Um, the, I think as Australians, we bring, in, um, we bring in a different culture. We have a different way of uh, you know assessing people. We can see maybe our education is a little bit different and we're taught to you know, assess people a little bit differently. We can pick up different things that, you know, we're just learning off of each other from the United States and the Australian side, just the different ways that we were, uh, you know, raised in the paramedic world. For any advice for anyone who's looking at possibly taking this ginormous step, you know, move halfway across the world, that is the hardest part is the commitment and actually, you know, committing to taking that step halfway across the world. It's the hardest part. And throughout my process with Australia EMS, Medic Ambulance, and um, International Medic Solutions, all three fronts, I felt super supported the whole way. I had, you know, a million questions throughout the process, uh, which, you know, they always had answers. They were always able to point me in the right direction for answers, or they were willing to research those answers for me. Um, So, again, like I said, the hardest step is, you know, just committing to um, do the process. And again, the whole time I felt super supportive and I feel so welcome over here. Um, you know, all the uh, Americans have so many questions about us that are spiders and kangaroos and ooh. <laughs> um, so yeah, expect, if you're coming over from Australia, expect lots of questions. <laughs> and, and said no one ever, uh, your American accent is just like um, a pain reliever for me. Um, I, you know, this, this whole idea of, of all you got to do is talk and the pain goes away. I mean, we've, we've stumbled onto something here. This is lovely. Um, well, as <laughs> promised, uh, Rob, uh, we've, uh, we've gone through various processes today. Um, we've talked a lot about uni and, um, I've even heard some references to time periods like fortnights. So I just feel like we should end with a few more, um, of our pronunciation, um, uh, game here. Uh, let's hear from Neil's team. How do you pronounce S C H E D U L E? Schedule. Schedule. 
Oh, good. See, Rob? Rob, how do you pronounce it? It's a schedule. Yeah. Come on, okay. everybody. How about, here's another one. C-O-N-T-R-O-V-E-R-S-Y. Aussies? Controversial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rob? Aluminum. <laughs> aluminium. You know, I know you're going to ask that one next, so let's let's have the aluminium-aluminum <laughs> question, shall we? No, the ringer is, the other day, Rob and I, I don't know why we were talking about this, but Rob and I were talking about something about a bathroom, and Rob pronounced U-R-I-N-A-L in a way I've never heard before, Rob. Urinal. Urinal. He said urinal. You guys say urinal? It's urinal. No, urinal. It's urinal. Urinal. I'm just okay. some posh English bloke. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Come on, Rob. <laughs> one, one of the other things Rob's we figured out is we, we figured out what a squirrel was. A squirrel. We know it as a squirrel. Squirrel. As a squirrel. Right. Yep. Apparently, we really overemphasize okay. our Good. R's in the U.S. When they do... When they mimic yeah. the American accent, which again, I feel like we have no accent. They really emphasize those R's and they stroll them out. Like I think yeah. they need to listen yeah. to the people more Southern than San Diego and little South. <laughs> I have to tell you three, three words that had me for a year. Pinch hit. No idea what that meant. Tote, <laughs> tote that out to the truck and hit. have at it. Have a what? So those things, Uh-oh. no idea. <laughs> we did a funny Uh-oh. skit, which I'm sure Neil will be happy to share with you guys soon. Just doing exactly this. I would say the word in American English and Kaya and Sam would say it, how they would say it in Aussie. Okay. And um, at the end, we were crying. We were laughing so hard. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, that should probably be a bonus episode of the MS Educated Podcast. Well, um, I want to thank our guests for being here today. This is an astonishing um, uh, approach that is working, um, obviously. And I want to applaud uh, all all of the cogs of the wheel here, from the leadership all the way down to the medic on the street and um, everyone in between. Thank you for your commitment to making EMS better around the world, not just in your own country. And thank you for... Um, leaping the hurdles that uh, keep us from, uh, you know, unique solutions like this. You've, you've figured it out and we need more of you. So um, that's uh, pretty refreshing in this time when a lot of us are struggling uh, with various issues. Thanks again. Thank you. So that's it. That's the end of another EMS Educator podcast. All of the contacts, all of the emails, if we asked them all to give us our email, we'd be here for another hour. So we're going to put it all in the show notes. But for the moment, Sam, Hillary, Alan, Neil, Mick, Colin, Danny, Joe, Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us on the EMS Educator podcast. Uh, I've been Rob Lawrence. She's been Hillary Gates. And until next time, bye for now. Thank you.